Good morning. I'm Henny Leonard. Um, Jim and I have been a part of All Souls for about seven years. We are the parents of three daughters and a son. We have been blessed with 13 children, and we just recently found out that number 14 is due in September. Surprise for everybody. <laughs> we spent nine years in Kenya with Wycliffe Bible Translators, so our kids spent many of their growing up years in Kenya. Two of our beautiful granddaughters are adopted from Liberia. They were adopted at the ages of 9 and 11. They are our oldest grandchildren and they're now both in college. <clears throat> we're talking today about grace in parenting and grandparenting. I think this is a topic that interests all of us because all of us have been parented. Some more effectively than others. <laughs> Some of us have been more wounded than others, maybe in ways that have confused or even angered us. But we also have a Heavenly Father who continues to parent us and is able even to reparent us as we grow in our relationship with Him and discover His one-way love and grace. God's one-way love is eternally flowing from His heart toward us. We entered this world having already felt his one-way love before we were born. We then were parented in ways that either, either made that grace more evident and real to us, or made us wonder what grace was, or a confusing combination of both. After a few comments, uh, I'll make on Paul Zoll's observation about grace in the different stages of parenting. I'd like to spend some time on the ways in which we can more deeply experience the one-way love of God, his incredible and unending grace, and then offer that same grace in our parenting and in our other relationships. As we look at God's grace, his one-way love in everyday life, Saul says that the relation of parents to children is, plays the most important role of all. As this relationship is dominant in the mediation of law, it's also dominant in the mediation of grace. What happens when you're a child, between you and your parents, is critically important to your whole worldview. As Zal puts it, if grace is in the mother's milk, then the child will gladly return to the mother. If grace is the father's unchained melody, the child will always return. But a strict focus on the law without grace will frustrate children and push them away. As we look at the rearing of very young children, there does seem to be a need for law in order to protect them and give them safe boundaries in which to explore and grow. Zoll says that that necessary protective law, uh, use of the law, is called, he calls that the first use of the law. It has nothing to do with condemnation, judgment, or guilt. This first use of the law provides protection and safety until children are able to develop an awareness of their own safe boundaries. You've probably heard the example of how children play on a playground when there's no fence around the perimeter, they tend to huddle toward the middle. But if there's a protective fence around the border, they are more free to make use of and explore the entire playground. 
So though a parent could, a parent could be overprotective in these early years in, in efforts to prevent a young child from being physically harmed, it's not this first use of the law that causes deep resentments and rebellion in a child. Instead, the child will feel safe and more free to play and be a child. <clears throat> but in relation to even very young children, grace and mercy, not law and judging, are the real change agents. How a child's behavior is responded to, even in an issue like toilet training, can mean the difference between a lifetime of trust or a lifetime of shame and woundedness. That's not to say parenting needs to be done perfectly. If the parent is able to offer grace to the child and can also offer grace to himself, then the concept of the good enough parent can be applied here and offers grace. The good enough parent does not strive to be perfect and doesn't expect perfection from her children. She is a grace-giving parent and will also give herself grace when she gets it wrong. Zal notes that from the very beginning, even before the birth of a child, grace is at work in its life if grace is evident in the marriage relationship. As the father and mother live out one-way love in their own relationship, then the raising of children becomes grace-filled. <clears throat> Without grace flowing between mother and father, their love toward their children can become a disordered love either smothering the child or being unattached and distant from the child or some combination of both. Often one parent will go one way and the other one will be more detached. In the preteen and teenage years, the identity of the child is formed often by pushing against the law and testing the boundaries. But before that has become a hardened response in a teen, even when their words sound angry and their reactions might feel very strong, the grace of one-way love still has a way into the, child, the heart of the child that's very crucial. So much of an adolescent's reaction to his parents is a cry for help, a search for love, and often a daring you to come close, even when they seem to be pushing you away. At this time of life, there is no substitute for grace. This is a time when both father and mother have to stay present to the child. The father is important in these years. What a teenage boy is often saying is, I want my father's affirmation that I am a lovable and a capable person. What a girl is often wanting is for her father to hold her in a loving and fatherly way and believe in her potential. On the surface, adolescents seem to be asking for the law so that they can break it. But at a deeper level, they're asking for grace time and time again. Grace is the strongest response and the thing you can never give too much of. And that grace can be offered in a lot of different ways. When our third daughter was starting high school, we had just moved to West Chicago from Kenya, and she was new to Wheaton Academy. At the time, she was recovering from a serious depression and anorexia. Getting up in the morning and getting ready for school was a challenge for her, and she would often try on 
three or four, five, six outfits before she felt ready to go out the door and face the world. When she left her room, all the clothes she had rejected were all over the floor. At that time, the grace that I felt I could offer her was to pick up and put away those clothes so that she would not have to come home to that depressing scene and be reminded of her morning struggle. It was something that didn't have to go on for very long, but it made it easier for her to come home and focus on her homework and whatever she had going on in the evening. I don't think she ever even mentioned it to me, but I know it helped her through a very rough time. Another thing I did not mind having to do during those days was drive her everywhere she wanted to go. It gave us the grace of time together where she was willing to talk and we could just be together. When our children become adults, Zal says that grace is the father in the parable of the prodigal son. Grace keeps the lamps lit and the door open. The job of a parent is never over because the needs of our children are never finished. Grace is never mistaken by our adult children. When they return home in the wake of a failure, a job loss, a divorce, we can love them and not require of them an explanation. No lectures are needed. The pain they are suffering will be their teacher and we can be a source of comfort and grace as they find their way back. In many ways, grandparenting seems like the dessert. It's a lot of fun. There is a, we have 13 of them, it's a lot, but um, there's a special grace for the grandparent when they're grandparenting too. We don't feel the weight of having to discipline the grandchildren and the full responsibility of their care. We can enjoy them with a more detached love, which is more pure enjoyment and a lot of fun. But Zal makes the point that the ones who need grace the most from the grandparents are our adult children who are now facing the task of raising children of their own. They do not need judgment from us on how to do their job, on their parenting skills, and their family's lifestyle choices. They don't need our criticism, but they need our love, our emotional support, prayer, and grace. My oldest daughter has two girls who lived their early years in an orphanage in Kenya. I mean in Liberia. When she and her husband chose to adopt these two girls at ages 9 and 11, they already had three little boys. And we knew that these, our daughter was in for a wild ride. But we wanted to protect them from taking on this challenge. And yet we knew God was speaking to them and leading them into it. A lot of people told them they were crazy. In the end, God has helped them, and the outcome is still in the making. But we see daily evidence of grace in this situation, and it impacts our entire family. Last Thanksgiving, all 22 of us were gathering at our house for dinner. I had emailed the kids and asked for their help with the meal, and then I asked, 
Who would like to make the 22 place cards for the table? My daughter-in-law answered that she and her three little ones would love to make the name cards. They worked hard on them and they were beautiful. And when they arrived on Thanksgiving Day, they carefully chose where everyone would sit and placed the cards on the plates. As we gathered around the table, Jim asked all of us to think of the biggest thing that we were thankful for. Then he asked us to think of the smallest thing we were thankful for. And then he asked if anyone wanted to share the smallest thing. Our oldest adopted granddaughter, Linda, who was home from college and who we don't get to see much these days, said she was thankful to come in and find a card with her name on it. She said it made her feel like there was a place where she belonged, a place where people loved her. We all were deeply touched. Grace shows up in surprising little ways. Another flow of grace that Zal mentions is the grace we give to our aging parents. He says that this grace requires a death, the death of the child who needs something from the parent. Following that death is the birth of an adult who has love and grace to give to older adults. This is what enables us to care for our aging parents with joy and not bitterness. If we can allow that death of our own needy self and forget about all the things we didn't get from them and the birth of the adult, then we can care for our aging parents out of love rather than out of obligation, which can lead to resentment. I once heard a speaker say that we never really grow up until we are caring for our parents. In my own case, I felt that seemed to be true. But in order to give grace, we have to have the experience of receiving grace. In our parenting, we will only give out of what we have received. Grace flows to us from God all the time. But if we have been parented with anger, harshness, shaming, criticism, even physical abuse, we lose sight of the grace of God in our own lives. We may grow up asking, where is this so-called loving God when my dad was yelling at me or hitting me? Though we are able to understand that that kind of parenting was hurtful, we will tend to repeat the patterns of our parents. We, even when we vow that we won't ever do what our parents did or say the things they said, without forgiving, healing and finding God's grace, we will end up doing and saying the very things we don't want to. We can also be triggered by our children in areas where we were most hurt and where we are still unhealed. When we see our faults and our struggles repeated in our children, we will have a hard time offering them grace if we have not offered that grace to ourselves nor experience the grace of God in a way that touches our own deepest need. So, if we've been wounded, and if we are aware of some of the struggles we have to accept God's grace and offer it in our own families, is it too late? Are we stuck where we are, victims of imperfect but well-meaning parents who themselves were wounded and broken, destined to repeat the same pattern? 
My recent exper experience in prayer offers a grace-empowered no. There is still grace flowing from the Father to me, to that little girl me who was yelled at and hit and felt so ashamed, to that little girl me who was supposed to be a son for my mother who already had a girl and desperately wanted a son, to that adolescent me who wanted so much to feel special and cared for but felt alone and sad, to the young adult me who made some very bad choices and had to live with regret and pain of things that could not be undone, to the adult me who chose to be the caretaker for my mother, maybe so that she would finally love me and say I was a wonderful daughter. How did God's grace flow into all those wounded places? And how does it still flow into them today and overflow to others? Well, one thing I've realized is that grace, God's grace is not bound by time. He is in eternity, and we are the ones bound by time. But his grace is forever flowing toward me. So the grace I was unable to experience in, the, in my times of pain and anguish is still available to me if I let it enter those wounded places and events in my life. As that grace is experienced and flows into those painful places, the wounds begin to fill and overflow with grace that I can offer to my children and others who need grace. As I begin to allow God's grace to bring healing into these memories, I no longer am bound by the negative narrative I have been telling myself all those years, that my parents didn't love me or didn't want me or were angry or abusive or negligent or just too busy and distracted. As I begin to see where God was and how he was loving me when I didn't know he was, I actually feel his love and it changes my story. I am not a victim. And it really isn't even about me. It becomes a story about a God who loves. A story of redemption and of how God took two imperfect people and gave them a child and they did the best they could with what they had. But they were also human, broken people. And as I offer them grace, have compassion on their situation, and forgive them for their failures, I can love them, faults and all, and see them as God sees them. And as I do that, I am free to see myself as loved. Then my own children are set free to offer me grace and forgiveness in ways in which I have, for ways in which I have failed them. I especially saw this as I was caring for my mom in her final year. I had a moment with God and my mom when she was in the nursing home, when my heart was absolutely filled and broken with God's love for her, and I was able to care for her with pure grace. My kids saw the change in me and in my attitude toward her, and it set them free to love their precious grandmother in the same way and to offer grace for her and to me during that difficult time since last September, 
I've been involved in a transformation intensive, going through the Ignatian exercises with a small group, and it has been transformative for me in many ways. One of the things we were encouraged to do as we began is to prayerfully look back over our lives, inviting the Holy Spirit into our memories so that he can bring past experiences of God's love into our awareness in the present moment. As David Fleming, a Jesuit, writes, we are free only if we know, acknowledge, and work with our own personal histories. If we are free only if we are not limited or shackled by our past or our present so that we can imagine the future we are invited into by God. So for about five weeks, I was spending time each day asking God to show me where he had been loving me, though I had been unable to see it or experience it. I journaled some of the memories he walked me through, and whenever I go back to that journal, I have a fresh experience of the grace I have received. I'd like to share one of the amazing memories of God's grace offered to me and to Jim through my father, which we will never forget. It changed our lives. My dad had a problem with anger, even with rage, but he was not a monster. He was a man who loved God and loved his kids, but he was very broken and wounded by the early loss of both of his parents and by the trauma of living through the Nazi occupation of Holland. This is the story of the way my dad loved us and offered his one-way love through, uh, uh, this is the story of the way God loved us and offered his one-way love to us through my dad. I met Jim in 1972 at an alternative school for special needs kids where I was student teaching in Chicago. We started dating, and soon it seemed convenient to live together in his apartment in the city. Though I had not told my parents the situation, they figured it out. They were not stupid. <laughs> and my dad called and invited them over for dinner at our apartment. After the meal, my dad pulled out his Bible, and he said, at our house, we always read the scriptures together after dinner. Do you mind if I do that? Jim said he could. I would have said otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> he read some verses from 1 Corinthians 5. Then he closed his Bible and said, According to this scripture, you two are living in sin. But... Jim, if you're going to treat my daughter like she is your wife, I am going to treat you like you are my son. To Jim, who had lost his dad when he was just 11, this was pure grace. I'd like to offer you some time to tell some stories of grace. I have a feeling there might be some stories of grace either from your parents, your grandparents, a special aunt or uncle, someone in your life who was able to offer you grace 
and I would love to hear a couple of stories if you want to tell. And if nobody's ready to do that, I'll take comments and <laughs> questions. I know. <laughs> Us too. <laughs> Thank you, Rich. Yes, Joy? Hmm. And I remember um, the note saying, because I had just been able to read this, I could read it for the first time. 
saying they can go with their family. Um, and I remember bringing that to my dad, saying, Dad, what does this mean? Um, and my dad, I am so proud of him for what he did and for overcoming a lot of this formalness. He said, honey, it just means that we're going to celebrate together. And it means that we're going to have our own time Christmas. And my dad sat there and gave me a hug and told me that we are very much, that we're all part of this family. And um, was never, never held back in being able to remind me that even though I was a, just by no fault of my own, but just by who I was, a disappointment in some eyes, that that was not true for him. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you the world that made. Mm -hmm. So it's still, it's still a broken relationship. I still yeah. don't have that relationship with my grandparents, but it meant the world to me that my dad told me that that was not true. Mm. And so um, that's a moment of grace. He was able to transcend what was broken mm -hmm. to be able to extend grace and true love. Thank you, Joy. Thanks. Yes, Judy. Thank you, Judy. Yes? Monica. Mm -hmm. and 
says, you're still a part of my, my family, my children, that even though your perception of family is pain and turmoil right now, there is reason, there is a, a purpose. Um, and it was really hard to overcome that connection, but I found it. <laughs> and that um, grace was that this is your present situation that is going to change. And how do you want it to look after it changes? And that mm -hmm. came from faith, from connection with God, and mm -hmm. not with Yes. And yes. That I knew God would change my heart mm -hmm. um, from that time to now. Uh, <coughs> as a faith in order to get there. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Monica. Mm. Anyone else have a story you'd like to share? Do I see a hand? Hmm. Okay, if not, um, there is a handout in the, is it, oh, you have it. It has, it offers a way to pray through memories, kind of like we did in our little Ignatian exercises. There's a scripture, some questions you can ask God, and just a way to maybe pray through, whether for positive or negative memories. I found great grace and healing through doing that. And then on the back of the handout, there's a very short bibliography of some parenting materials that are especially, I think, grace-based and uh, might be worth a look if you're looking for some help with parenting. Anything else? See that we have a little time, Penny. Yeah. Um, this has been such a um, contentious issue, grace between the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church, and you know, were so you're doing the Ignatian exercise mm -hmm. as an Anglican, mm -hmm. and you found and my that, husband as an ex-Catholic, an, an ex and both of us as ex-hippies. Ex -hippies. <laughs> <laughs> so it's interesting, isn't there? Maybe if you comment on this, there's some grace there that this. I mean, you look at church history and the Jesuits versus the Jansenists in France, the the. Lutherans versus Ignatius, people pit them against one another, mm -hmm. and yet you're finding grace in this Catholic practice. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just wanted to point that out. That's a wonderful thing, um, and it's I something agree. that you have the freedom to do. And so this is you're giving us a taste of this mm -hmm. in this little sheet. So yeah, if you have you know. a, at least a you know 20 minutes, half hour, take some time yeah. and pray through and ask God what He might show you through some of your memories. And this idea of one-way love that you talked about, this is Zoll's definition. If you go, I've done it before, um, if you go down um, Geneva and you keep going, you'll get honked at, right? If you get to the, to the end of the swamp there, or marsh, and you, you keep, you, you'll find yourself in a one-way street, right? And I made the mistake once, and, and all of a sudden the neighbors and everyone's like, oh, wow. 
and, and you stop and you turn around. There's a real edge to this, this idea of one-way love, that this is Luther's insight, that you cannot push something, you cannot make a contribution. It is so God-centered coming in your direction, and we can show that to one another. So I just wanted to highlight and thank you for that, because you've illustrated that in your own personal life as well. Thank you for sharing thank with you. us. Thank All you. Thank right. you. Thank you.